Grace, mercy, and the peace of God, the Father, the one um, who resides in his temple, and God the Son, the one who came to the temple, and God the Holy Spirit who makes us his temple, be and abide with you this day. Amen. Have you ever had a c- occasion to say to someone, oh, grow up? <laughs> or maybe you've heard those words. <laughs> Maybe both. Sometimes we need to grow up. We need to mature in our understanding, in our lives. You know, sometimes we just need to grow up. There's also a cliche, kids grow up too fast. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've, maybe you've lived that. Because kids grow up fast. I remember when my kids were small, well especially when we just had Max and he was little and there would be people who would say, soak it in because kids grow up so fast, which is true. Jesus was growing up, growing independent, a preteen there in Nazareth. Twelve years old, the age of our youngest now, and imagining Jesus, the age of Drew, doing the things he does in this text are a bit striking, having a kid that age. In this season, we're in a series, What Child Is This? And each week, we see that Jesus is no ordinary child. He's not ordinary, though he's not completely out of the ordinary, I would suggest, But in the way he's not ordinary, we see that the favor of God was upon him. That's in verse 40 of Luke chapter 2. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The word that's translated favor here in this text is the same word in Greek, charis, that we use for grace. Most of the time, the vast majority of time that that word appears in the New Testament, it's translated grace. So the grace of God was upon him, even at 12, even as a (laughs) preteen. And we get to the end of the scene in verse 52, we see this, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor, again, and in grace with God and man. The word is charis, and it's the same word that we, um, that's the root of charismatic, So someone who's got a charismatic personality, not in the way that, you know, is kind of the cult leader charismatic personality, but in the way that is engaging, same word. He's filled with grace and favor of God. So that bookends this narrative that Jesus is full of wisdom and grace and growing in stature and maturing, but what happens in the middle? In the middle, Jesus is left behind. Verse 43, when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. It seems, you know, at the initial reading, that it's kind of bending that fourth commandment, honor your father and mother, at least a bit, right? That Jesus was doing what he wanted to do. He was striking out on his own, How many 12-year-olds want to be more independent? I'll look at the 12-year-old in the room. (laughs) 
How many teens want to be more independent? How many want to bend the rules and do it their own way? Some kids start much younger, at about age two, wanting to do it their own way, wanting to, wanting to be independent, wanting to be big. The end of the story, verse 51, says that Jesus was submissive to them. And I think that's Luke's way of saying this was not Jesus bending the rules and going his own way and striking out on his own and ignoring what his parents would want him to do, that there's something different happening here. There's something different from rebellion of a preteen deciding to, to go where he wanted to go and do what he wanted to do. It's different from that. But still his parents were searching for Jesus. Beginning in verse 43, it says this, Supposing him to be in the group, the parents went a day's journey. They began to search for him among relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Jesus was missing. At some point, we heard a story, and I think it goes back maybe to when we lived in Ohio, but maybe Oklahoma, I, I don't remember. Or maybe we heard it twice two different families who've had this happen. There was a group of families traveling together, caravanning to go on a vacation in the same place, and they were going to stay in the same hotel or location, and so they just piled into the vehicles, and, and uh, this one you could do that, right? And intermingle families, right? And um, so they're driving down the road, and it's time for a rest stop, and so they, you know, exit the freeway, and everybody gets out, and you know, goes in and uses the facility, and, and they all pile back in and, and drive on. And they get to the next stop. Maybe it's dinner time. I don't remember what it was that caused them to stop, or maybe they reached their destination, and they realized there was one missing. At the rest stop, the assumption was made that well, he probably got in the car with the other family where he was riding before. But that family assumed, well, he's not here now. He probably got back in with his parents and siblings, and they just made their way down the road. This is kind of like it was, I think, for Jesus' family. Mary and Joseph were in a caravan of people who had gone. This is a festival. People go, and they go together. They travel together to Jerusalem, they maybe shared accommodations and, sh and shared travel responsibilities. We don't know all the details, but it certainly gives us this idea that they were traveling with other people. Going with them until they realized Jesus wasn't with them anymore. Imagine their sense of panic. Several years ago now when um, we lived on the other side of town and, and Gina went to an elementary school over there. So this, I mean, Gina's a junior in high school now. Um, so you know this is a, a, a few years ago. There was a Friday and she was going to ride her bike to school and the girl who lived next door was going to go along and 
Well, just to make sure that they knew where they were going and they didn't ride in unnecessary traffic and they made it to the school, so I rode along with them. And I agreed, you know, and we all had this plan that I would go and meet them at the school and we would ride back together for the same reason. So the end of the school day comes and I ride over to the school and they come out and they get their bikes off the bike rack and helmets on and here we go and we start riding. Well, Gina's legs were much shorter and her bike had one gear, so up and over the bridge meant she was going to go slower than I would go. So I got to the top of the bridge and I paused and I looked back and here they come and everything's fine. Then going down the bridge on the other side, I gained some speed and I look back and they're coming down the, down the way, down the hill. And I make the turn, expecting that they can make that turn. They've seen me make the turn, here we go. And now it's just another couple of streets and then turn in and you're in the neighborhood and our house is almost straight ahead. So I just rode on, and I got to the house, and I parked my bike, and I waited. And I watched, and I waited, and I looked out toward the streets, and I did not see two girls, and I did not see two bikes, and I didn't see anybody coming. And I felt that sense of panic. What could have happened? Where could they be? Then there was the looking. Pulled my bike back out, hopped back on, rode back out to the street. Don't see anybody, so I go, well, there was a couple of streets that they had to pass before the turn, so maybe they didn't recognize the landmarks. Maybe they turned too early. Maybe they're circling around in a neighborhood that's not ours without knowing it. So I circled around that neighborhood. Don't see any sign of any kids. Mary and Joseph looked among the families. Where could Jesus be? They look among their relatives. They look among the family, friends, or neighbors, or whoever else was in that caravan. And then that sense of panic. Verse 48, when Mary finally says something to Jesus, she uses these words, great distress that they had looking for him. And then it's back to Jerusalem. Back to the city. Can you imagine going to a city, knowing that you've left your child, your 12-year-old son, your firstborn, with all the promise and all the words of the angel and all that kind of pressure that that's maybe putting on you, and you've left him in the city. Now where do you start looking? Hmm. Where do you look for a 12-year-old in the city by himself? The text goes on and says it's three days. Now, probably that meant there was a day as they were going, a day's journey. That's part of of what we hear. So there's a day's journey out, and then maybe a day looking among the families and then a day back, or the day back and then a day looking in the city. Either way, it's long enough that Jesus has been on his own for a while. Where did he stay? What did he eat? Who took care of him? Where would you look? They finally find Jesus, and his question for them is, why were you searching for me? Why were you looking for me? 
It's in verse 49. This is something interesting about this story. And if you have a a Bible in front of you that has the red letters in it, if it's paper, um, you can see this. Or, I mean, even if you're using the app or something electronic, if you have the red letters turned on, it's easier to see. You can still find it. If not, it's just you have to look a little more closely. These are Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Luke. Why were you looking for me? It's an interesting question that Luke puts in the mouth of Jesus. Well, I mean, records Jesus saying, why were you looking for me? And John's gospel, if you quickly flip over there, if you have a red letter Bible, you can see it again very quickly in John's gospel. His first words are, what are you seeking? And here in Luke and in John, it's the same root word. Zeteo. That's the Greek root, which just means to look, to search, to inquire. What are you looking for? Why are you looking for me? It's a question posed in two of the four Gospels, the first words of Jesus. Parents, do we remember the first words our kids say? We make a big deal out of it, right? Most of the time, it's dada. That's kind of fun for dads. Moms who do the vast majority of the work and the effort and endure pregnancy and all that pain, and the first words the kids say is dada. The first words of Jesus, what are you looking for? Why are you searching for me? Do we search for Jesus? And where do you look? Where do you look for him? The world looks in all the wrong places, like we looked at with the Magi who show up in the capital and go to the palace and inquire among royalty looking for Jesus, but looking in the wrong place. A number of years ago, there was a special on ABC, The Search for Jesus and Peter Jennings was the host of it. And the, the, the idea was to find archaeological evidence of the existence of Jesus, which absolutely can be found. But this special was looking at things like bone boxes and um, grave markings and things like that. Luke 24, verse 5 asks this question, why do you search for, and again using the same word, so this is the end of Luke's gospel, why do you search for the living among the dead? Why are we searching for Jesus in places where he can't be found? Don't look in the grave. Don't look for a bone box. Don't look in places where Jesus will not be. Find him where he is. Where is Jesus to be found? He is where he promises to be for us. He's in his word. He's in the sacraments. He's in our presence as we gather in his name. He's in the loving actions of his people. He's meeting with us in prayer. And by 12-year-old Jesus' own words, he's about the Father's business. 
He's about the Father's business. There's no place like home. Is a cliche that comes to us from the Wizard of Oz, of all places. There's no place like home. Gina eventually made it home. And so did the neighbor girl. And what? And the rest stop boy, yeah. Um, sorry to leave you hanging on that. Paula wanted to make sure that you didn't wonder the rest of the day, what happened to the kid? Yeah, they went back to the rest stop. He was there, he was okay. And they carried that parental guilt for a long time. Gina made it back. The neighbor girl and she had gone a different way. They had gone past our neighborhood and gone around the long way over the bridge or something. And it was probably only like 15 or 20 minutes. And I reacted, well, the way Mary and Joseph and most parents react. Verse 48, when the parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? My words might have been similar. But Jesus was in his father's house. That's how his answer is translated in the version that we heard this morning. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He was at home in the temple. He stayed behind in Jerusalem and went to the temple. Where does God dwell? He dwells in the temple. Who is Jesus? He is God in the flesh. He went home. Isn't that the whole point of the temple, a place for God to dwell? God's house? In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2, King David said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David had that desire that he would build a temple, a house, a place for God to dwell. Not that God needs to live in a dwelling, in a building, but that it would be a sacred space for God's presence among his people. God's everywhere, omnipresent is the word that we use for that. God doesn't need our space. But we still have spaces, like this sanctuary, where we meet with God in a place that's set apart for that purpose. Jesus went home to the temple and was listening and asking questions. Even though he had grown in wisdom and at 12 years old was amazing, the, the people who were there, the scribes, the elders, the teachers of the law, they're amazed at his wisdom, at his understanding. But wise people ask questions. Wise people understand there's more to learn. And Jesus was about his father's business. The raw Greek here in Jesus' statement is actually neither about the father's business or in his father's house, actually. It's, well, it's actually hard to translate. What he says is, 
Did you not know that I, that I must be in the, and that's plural, a plural the, of my Father? In, in the things of my Father. I don't know where house actually comes from. In the things of my Father is maybe a better translation that, that kind of connects us with the idea of business. The King James Version said business. I didn't look up very many, but some have house. And I think that's because of where they find him in the temple, in the house, the dwelling place of God. But Jesus is in the things of God. It's more than in the house. We can be in the same house with someone, but not on the same page. <laughs> Maybe lately you've felt like that, where we're just in the house all the time. And hopefully you're on the same page some of the time, most of the time. Jesus was in the house and on the same page and into the business of his father. That's what he was about. And not just in this scene at age 12. Throughout his life, Jesus was about the Father's business. As he gathered disciples, as he taught, as he walked along the road, as he healed, as he raised the dead, as he performed the miracles, showed the signs, as he taught with authority that people just didn't understand, Jesus was about his Father's business. And as he walked that road to Jerusalem, the place we see him at age 12 is the place he's headed back to throughout his ministry, throughout his life, where he would stand trial, where he would be crucified. That's his father's business. That's the purpose for which he was born. He was about that his whole life and in his death and in his resurrection. And then he sends those followers, those who believed in him, to be about his business. Because God calls us to be about his business too. To actively seek his will. To go to the places where we will meet with him, where we will spend time in his presence and to live lives that are true to our faith, pursuing God's purpose for our lives. So the way that we carry this out isn't to gather in the dwelling place of God, isn't to come here and camp out. Couldn't do that now anyway. <laughs> but it's to be about the Father's business, to be about the things of God, to live lives of faith and hope and love, to pursue our purpose, to grow in wisdom and grace. What's God's purpose for you? How can you be about his business? Through the things he's given you. Through the opportunities that you have by being the best mom or dad that you can if you have children, by being a good son or daughter, if you still have parents living, 
by being a good neighbor to those who live near you, those who are connected to you, by being a good friend in person and online. By being a person that shines light in the darkness, that brings hope to the hopeless, kindness to those who are in need, by spending time in the presence of God in word and sacrament, we can be then strengthened to be about the Father's business. This morning, we're spending time in his presence, scattered wherever we are, in order that we can be about his business, not for this hour, but in our lives, making sure that we take Jesus with us when we go. It's an old, I think it's American Express, pretty sure, a slogan from a number of years ago, don't leave home without it. Don't leave home without Jesus. Don't leave him behind to dwell in the temple, to stay in that space, but bring Jesus with you wherever, you, wherever it is you go. Amen.